Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Now You See Me, From Endangered to Extinction. And our author who joins me from the Detroit area in Michigan, in the United States, is Diane Brischke. Diane, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. You have a background as an educator, a photographer, and a person who absolutely loves animals, especially the rare and exotic type. You visited a lot of zoos in your lifetime and have uh, photographed animals. Share why this 62-page book got written and what the contents are about. Well, the zoos that I visited, I was a docent, uh, a finger docent um, at a zoo, and during that time, um, I got to know some of the animals there, and rather they kind of became uh, close friends of mine. And I would stand and I would watch them. I particularly was interested in um, one of our female chimpanzees that uh, had a baby for the first time. And in watching how she took care of that baby and um, taught them things, uh, and knowing their conflict in the jungles that they are now through Jane Goodall, um, I couldn't see why uh, what was happening in the jungles and other areas could possibly um, destroy such beautiful animals, not just the chimpanzees, but um, other animals as well. And uh, teaching, when I would take the children to the zoo, uh, there were a number of times that you know I would watch their eyes just open in awe. I taught in the inner city, and the only animals they really ever saw were in books. So. I would tell them about the animals, and uh, their parents um, were even interested in them. And in the back of my mind, I kept saying, well, I hope when they grow up, it's not just the books where they can see these animals. And the tragedies that are happening today in rainforests and the Arctic and in the jungles and now even in the oceans, um, it, it really is touching everybody, not just me. And uh, when I go out to schools and talk, I try to make that the main uh, subject of what I talk to the children. Um, how do you, um, how do you I've come always, up? I've always... Yes, how do, how do, you, how do you come up with the, the concept? or uh, I mean, how do, how do you come up with a concept? But how is that concept arrived at, endangered? And how do you foresee extinction extinction in some of these wonderful animals? Well, uh, for for um, example, uh, in the marine species, there's uh, a lot of overfishing, and when uh, the fishermen go out, uh, they really don't care what's in their nets, and in some cases, uh, they're bringing in seahorses and manta rays, and in some cases, sea turtles. Now, sea turtles have been endangered for quite a while. 
and the seahorses now, um, they're being harvested for um, medicine hmm. and talismans. And they there's organizations that um, have been set up to at least leave the males uh, in the ocean so that they can reproduce. It's, it's the males that carry the, uh, the eggs. And uh, there's, even though they, you've heard people say that, oh, well, there, there's a lot out there, you know, that you're not going to run out of these species. And there have been, uh, you know, like the introduction in my book, the dodo bird and the passenger pigeon, um, everybody thought that they would be around for a long time. And uh, now um, there's approximately, I believe I heard the other day, um, at least 3,000 uh, of a certain animal left. Uh, and uh, the numbers come down. And right now there's so many organizations out there that have um, constructed preserves and they've taken animals uh, and rescued them and put them on the preserves where they're protected so that they can reproduce. Were, were all of the uh, the photos that you have in your book, were they all secured in a captive environment? Yes, they were. Uh, now, some were stock photos, um, like the underwater, uh, the coral leaves in that. Um, the ones that were mine were taken in captivity. Uh, a majority of the ones that were stocked, uh, there was only a few that were taken in the wild by a professional photographer. Uh, and what do you hope but, to what do you hope to accomplish, Diane, by by sharing this not only your personal passion with the animals and uh, their their uh, this, the saving of the species, but what do you want to accomplish with your book? I would really like to get more people involved in uh, becoming aware of what's happening uh, to the wildlife and uh, that the circumstances that are making some of these species numbers decline is man-made. And, uh, for example, some uh, people in Washington still do not believe that we have climate control. The climate is fine, yet the ice in the Arctic is melting, and polar bears have to swim farther to get a meal. And um, if we could uh, get more people involved in these organizations and to support the need to uh, protect these animals, maybe the numbers would start growing. And in in that order, we need people to... um, make other countries understand that it's not just the United States uh, that are trying hard to protect the species all over the world, but we need uh, worldwide uh, support from them also. Because of your background as an educator with children, uh, would you call your book a, a book that would be enjoyed especially by children, or is it one that has a broader audience appeal? Um. Well, I taught preschool. I would, um, if I read it to them, I would simplify it. Um, A lot of my subjects were centered around animals. Uh, I would say that it's open for uh, anyone to read. Uh, Some of the 
third grade up to high school couldn't read it for information or research. I think uh, teachers would be interested uh, in it from a science view. Um, I'm by no means an expert. I've just been someone that's been dedicated to uh, learning more and doing research on these animals. And I belong to a lot of wildlife organizations. Um, and now I'm the uh, director of youth education at our city aquarium. And I'm becoming more aware of the uh, species in our oceans that Fa are now becoming endangered. Fabulous. How long did it take you, Diane, to get the material together, the photographs and the other details of your book, and get it to publishing? Uh, it took it took me about a year to get uh, the uh, writing uh, done. I did some research. Some is uh, knowledge that I've taken through classes. Um, some of it is my own experience. Um, knowing the uh, problems that are facing these animals. Photographs um, took me uh, approximately two or three months to set them up. So all in all, I would say probably a year and a half. And then the, the uh, publishing um, was, you know, with the editing and that, I would say it was probably another year. So it was two years in coming. I'm going to ask you a question about animals. You have a, a, a large number of photographs in your book. Is there one particular photograph that you have taken that you think is uh, maybe your favorite of the things that you have done or photographed? Uh, the one photograph that I really uh, love is the uh, baby orangutan on the front. Yeah, it's cute. Um, uh, yeah, I took that picture at um, a zoo in Ohio, and uh, there was a, a, a male adult, and this little one was, uh, in fact, I didn't see it at first. It was hiding in a corner, but it was men making the, uh, the adult. And just the fact that it looked so innocent, it had that little leaf on its head and chewing on a stick, it, it struck me. And, uh, in fact, I had taken two pictures of it. And four years later, when I went back, I saw how it had grown. And um, I thought to myself, it probably wouldn't have lasted in the wild, considering how the um, Borneo and Sumatra is now. It's a beautiful photo. And so it's, that would be my favorite. Yeah, very engaging uh, photograph and, and cover picture. Now you see me from endangered to extinction. Is there... Any challenges you had to overcome to get this completed, or was this a breeze and you hope to have a sequel in the near future? Well, I'm not, it wasn't exactly a breeze. I just uh, wanted to make sure that my information was correct. Um, in fact, a lot of the information um, uh, was taken from documentaries and uh, research I've done on um, the Internet and uh putting it all together in a short uh, summary of certain things without going into pages because, you know, naturally there's a lot of information and there's a lot of animals that, um, that share the same uh, outlook, if you want to, you know, put it that way, of what's happening right. to right. them through man-made destruction. Uh, um, I had to really 
shorten it a bit. And um, I'm hoping uh, down the line I would like to do um, another book on the oceans. Wonderful. In the future. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing your uh, background story on this, your first book of uh, reading. That also could be a, a coffee table book, perhaps. It's uh, eight and a half by 11, standard size, but filled with wonderful photos. Titled, Now You See Me, From Endangered to Extinction. Written and photographed by Diane Brischke, who has joined me from the Detroit area in the United States. Diane, thank you for joining me today. Where do my listeners get a copy of your book? Um, it's on Amazon, and it's on Barnes & Noble, and they can always uh, always uh, go online to exlibre.com. You also have a website under development. Has that been completed yet? Uh I believe if they uh, put in uh, com, uh, the website will come up, and they can also order it from there. Fan. It's also on the ebook. Oh, wonderful. Let me spell your name for my listeners. D-I-A-N-E, last name Brischke, B-R-I-S-C-H-K-E. Diane, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. Honored to visit with you. Thank you for giving me the time to share this with people. Wonderful. For Ex Libris on Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, Check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Fox in the Family, and our author, Jane King, joins me from California in the United States. Thank you very much for joining me today. I am thrilled to be joining the program. Pleasure to talk with you. Your 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 sketch on the cover is intriguing. It has a beautiful sketch of a fox. I'm uh, understanding that perhaps you were the uh, the sketch artist in this book as well. Yes, I'm an animal portrait artist and I specialize in doing sketches, especially in the borders of uh, pastel portraits that I do. Excellent. Share with my listeners a little of your background. Uh, you say you're a sketch artist, but this book took some time to get completed. Uh, share what happened and how the foxes became part of your family. Well, we, uh, we first we had a Jack Russell Terrier that came from Ireland, and she came from a hunting kennel, and she was featured in the paper. So when some uh, local lumbermen 
had trouble with a den of foxes under a barn that was going to be demolished. He called us and said, do you think that terrier would go down the foxhole and chase them out so we could get them out? We know that there are four or five uh, pups in there, and we haven't seen the mother, and we don't want to kill them. Mm. And so we went out around 5 o'clock in the evening, and uh, it was getting dark. This is in February, and this had to be after work. And we didn't know if our terrier would go to the ground, and she did immediately, just like she was born to do it. And it took a little while, but we got two fox pups out. And unlike uh, feral kittens, they were completely tame. They had no experience with humans, and they didn't fight back at all. That's they fascinating. Were about five weeks old. That's fascinating. And you have photos of the of the young pups on the back of your book as well. Uh, how long ago was this that this took place? This was in 1973 and 74. Mm. Forty years ago. Forty years ago, and you're just now telling your story. It, did it take forty years to get all the sketches done, or what was the delay in getting it completed? And and what, I what inspired you? I had most of the sketches finished, uh, and some uh, notes and whatever. And I started writing, uh, and I had thought about doing a book, but I got no encouragement whatsoever. Nobody wanted a narrative. And I, I sent some, you know, beginning outlines and everything to some publishers early on. And then not getting any encouragement, I just forgot about it until I was in 1985 or 1984. I was taking some English classes to update my teaching credential. And we had to take an audiovisual class uh, where we had to use two projectors simultaneously. And so I put my sketches on the slideshow and my professor just went wild about it and he said this is a master's project I'll be Mm, your chairman you've got to get a master's degree so it became a master's degree and I got my master's in 1985 incredible accomplishment your book is more than just a biographical sketch of your family I think isn't there more of adventure in the way you've narrated your story uh, yes, it was just the mo- most amazing time. Uh, we, I had rescued a lot of animals, and my family all, all loved animals. And we fox hunted, and of course, we never wanted to kill a fox. It was the fun of the chase and mm. going out and getting all dressed up and whatever. And so our family was very, we lived in the woods, and we were very animal-oriented. And uh, so this was a, quite an adventure to have these two little foxes and have them in the house. And the reason we were able to do that is because they used a litter pan like a cat. Really? And so it made it pretty easy. We just brought them inside, and the hard part was getting them used to the animals that we ha- already had in the house. And uh, so we gradually introduced each animal to them and some animals they got along with uh, the young terrier they got along with but the cat absolutely refused to come in the house after she met him is that right it's unusual that uh, uh, the jack russell terriers are very energetic little puppies it's uh, amazing that they seem to get along fine with your fox friends yes that that was the amazing part the, the puppy was about i'm thinking four months old, five months old, something like that. And uh, he was just, they, they 
make a funny noise when they greet the other animals, mm-hmm. and I will I will mimic that noise, and we all learn to do it, and we, we felt foolish at first doing it, but it's the way they greeted other animals and themselves. They would scoot on the floor with their fanny in the air and their tail up, and they would scoot under the dog or the cat like they were searching for nipples, mm-hmm. and it just totally freaked out the, the dogs and the cats. And so instead of chasing them, they were very uh, uh, aware, you know, that they didn't try to to catch the foxes. And they made a noise like this. That was, and our children, who were two and four, our boys were two and four, they didn't have any trouble making that noise. That's amazing. And I have talked with second grade classrooms, and I've had the whole classroom mimic that noise back immediately with no problem. Fascinating. Which of the stories that you have recounted in your book do you think will be the most entertaining to the listener or to the reader? I think all the escapades. Uh, a fox is a very smart animal, and we did not really appreciate how smart they really are. And so not being able to be outside, the fox created all sorts of fun things to do in the house, and uh, she could outwit us. Uh, we one of the foxes died um, of the distemper shot. Hmm. I had to take them to the vet to have them shot, have them have some shots. Not only to appease our minds, but all of our friends kept telling us, "Oh, you can't have those foxes around your children. They'll have rabies and mm-hmm. everything." And so the veterinarian said, "Oh, they're too young to have a rabies shot, but I'll give them distemper shot." And one of the foxes died of the distemper shot. And so we were just left with one. And I think because we just had one, it became even tamer and more dependent on everybody in the house. How long did it remain a a house pet or indoors? We had the fox for a complete year. We uh, made an outside run. We tried to release her in the summertime. Uh, when there were grasshoppers and things that she could catch easily. And the problem with raising a wild animal is you take away their natural fears. Mm -hmm. And she followed the children over to a neighbor's house, and they had a Brittany Spaniel. And the Brittany Spaniel chased the fox and bit her and broke her leg. Ah. And so I had her leg pinned, and so then we knew we could not release her. And so we made a big outdoor run because we wanted to have her get a winter coat and be able to go outside. So we built like a room outside and uh, that had a a hollow stump in it. And we dug out like a den and made it try to be as much like a natural setting. But it was still, you know, small and compared to nature, but at least she could grow a, a really luxuriant hair coat. And then she would be in half the day and out half the day. And so that, that seemed to work until we found out we were going to move to California. Mm-hmm. And then we, we had to find a permanent home for her. And so the Indianapolis Zoo was interested in a fox for the petting zoo. So we... They were wanted specifically a gray fox, and so we took her to the zoo. And unfortunately, it did not work out for the zoo because it was like abandoning your child. Oh. She was not used to being in a cage. 
she was not used to strange people, especially strange people with big, heavy leather gloves on their hands grabbing at her. Right. And so uh, the zoo realized that after a while that that was not going to work, and they let someone there release her on their farm where there were no uh, dogs around. So it finally had a happy ending, but uh, it was a struggle to be able to have her become free again. Sure. What motivated you to to share your story? I know you mentioned a uh, master's or uh, program or something else that that, uh, was part of that motivation, perhaps. Uh, What was the uh, ultimate reason for sharing it? Well, my boys were two and four, and this was such an unusual and remarkable experience that I wanted them to remember it. And so that's why I started, I didn't take as many pictures as I should have, but I started photographing and sketching and writing little uh, paragraphs of little episodes that happened so that I could eventually try to do something with a book. And I asked the boys now, who are now in their 40s, uh, what, what do you remember about the little foxes? And they go, well, we remember what you wrote in the book. <laughs> really? <laughs> what yeah. That's a little unusual, too. I mean, most, I don't know, I have very vivid memories of my childhood in some areas, and that would have been one that stuck out in my mind. Is there is there an underlying message or something that pops through in your story? Well, I think it's a respect for nature that when you rescue an animal, you are then responsible for the... Uh, life of that animal and you may be saving it at that time but uh, what's going to happen to it in the long run and that you have to be uh, ready for some heartaches because I've had many animals that I have saved that haven't made it Uh, but I have been able to return a lot of birds back to the wild but uh, and I was glad that we did get the foxes, the fox returned. But, of course, one of them did die, and that was our fault that it died. But you could look at it the other way. Well, they would have both died, you know, when they bulldozed the barn down. True. And uh, the one thing uh, that was sad was that the next day we went out to try to find the other pups. And the bulldozer had already bulldozed them down. Ouch. And one of the workmen had found one of the, the pups and taken it home. And that one was treated like a wild animal in a cage, always never handled. Hmm. And they tried to bring it back to us a month later and say, you know, uh, wouldn't you take this one with you, the two that you have? And it was a snarling maniac. Really? Because it had been treated like a wild animal. Hmm. And it looked exactly like our two. And so, you know, I told them, we can't, we can't have it because the boys can't tell the difference between this really wild fox and our two tame ones. So I don't, I don't know what he did with the, with the fox, whether he just tried to release it and let it be on its own and try to get along. What happened? Because it was still very small. Yes. But it was very, very vicious. Is your is your story one that will appeal to uh, I would say even children because the sketches certainly oh, are intriguing. Oh yes, yes. Um, a lot of my friends have read it to their grandchildren, and it was very popular. I've had two second grade classrooms where the teacher read it to them, and then I came and they asked me questions, and then I even did an art project with one of the classrooms about drawing a fox's face, and. Uh, 
they loved, absolutely loved the story. I was amazed that I know my children loved it, but it was about them. But to have other children relate to it and love it, that was just really the icing on the cake. Exceptional. wonderful. Exceptional. 97 pages. The title, again, is A Fox in the Family. Jane King, author, has joined me from California. Jane, are you anticipating perhaps uh, another novel or another book or another release in your future? Well, people keep asking me that, and I have lots of stories. I've raised a great horned owl. Uh, that was completely tame where you could pet him and he just came in I didn't know uh, that that whether he was wild or tame but uh, I went out to take a picture of him so that I could draw him and he flew to my camera and I knocked him on the ground because here these big talons came at me oh, yeah. and then he ran toward my legs and started pulling on my pants legs and wiggling his wings and I'm going oh my you're somebody's baby bird. He's right. like, yes, I'm a baby bird. So I have stories and photographs of that one. Also, a ground squirrel that we named Chipper that was rescued when they when the neighbors dug a pool and dug into a ground squirrel nest, and their dog killed all the baby ground squirrels except for one that came to me in a jar. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... Uh, it was uh, probably about six inches long from the tip of its nose to the tip of its tail. And we raised that squirrel until it was an adult. And there were many, many uh, ups and downs of, of that, but it was very similar to the foxes. And then I've raised innumerable birds that have rescued people. Jane, anybody responding to your book? Have you uh, had any uh, accolades thrown your way? Yes, I was the winner in the nature category of the uh, Great Northwest Book Festival, and I have been had an honorable mention in four other book festivals, including the Great Southwest, the Pacific Rim, the San Francisco, the Los Angeles one, and I am a finalist in the American Library Association, the IndyFab uh, contest that will be held in San Francisco June 26th. Boy, that's exciting, and you get accolades here, of course. Yes, it's been it's been quite a trip. There are many stories that you can yet tell. This is a yeah. great one, A Fox in the Family. Where do my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, you can purchase a, a copy from Amazon.com, or you can order one from Barnes & Noble. I think it takes a little longer from Barnes & Noble, or from Ex Libris. Wonderful. And do you have a website yet? Yes, it's called... It's www.janeconnorking.com. Jane Connor King. All right, we have that. Thank you, Jane, for joining me today and sharing your story. I, I uh, hope that we get to visit in the future and hear more of your exotic tales of uh, wild animals and uh, family living. I think that's just a fascinating book. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. For Ex Libras On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. 
Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, Wake Up and Smell the Poop. And joining me from somewhere in North America is author Don Sullivan, also known as the Dog Father. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Jay. How are you? Doing well. Your book is certainly an intriguing title. Share with my listeners what the significance is of your title and who the book is directed toward. Um, well, the, the title basically is, is to grab people's attention in the fact that uh, there's a lot more going on uh, when it comes to dealing with dogs and the dog training world and, and the whole um, business built around dogs. Uh, there's a lot more going on than people are aware of. And there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes uh, in our society and the, and the way society thinks that is directing the way people are interacting with their dogs. And it is detrimental to the relationships they're having with their dogs and the success they're having in training their dogs and, and things that are... That are um, leading to, to problems that are actually to the point of, of uh, you know, maulings and, 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 and even deaths occurring um, because of uh, their failings to see how they are relating to their dog. And, and so what I'm doing is wake up and smell the poop is saying, here's, here's an expose on, on why people are doing things incorrectly and how to know and spot how to change that so that they can actually be in a better position to, to have the control over their dog that they want to have and, um, and simply you know, just lead to a better end for everybody, for all of our society in, in their relationship with dogs. Uh, share with my listeners your experience as a dog trainer or dog uh, a behavioralist, a specialist sure. in that, that field. Okay. Uh, well, I've been training dogs for 30 years, and uh, so I started back in the, in the mid-'80s. Um, and I, I quickly found that I had a, an ability to train dogs to a high level of off-leash obedience, uh, where most dog training institutes, are, you know, they're set up, there's little classes at, at your pet stores and so forth, and they, they give people um, this perception that they're getting a trained dog, or they, they use the term obedience. Uh, but what they really end up with is a dog that will do certain things in a controlled environment and usually for a piece of food as a reward. Right. And I have uh, early on discovered that using food uh, for, for training a dog only gets you what I call a circus dog. It will hmm. perform in certain situations when it wants to. But to me, true obedience is when a dog will respond to you without a leash 
when it would rather not in a situation that is uh, absolutely imperative that the dog responds. Because a lot of people say, oh, my dog's really good, except when, and then they give you a list of all the times when the dog doesn't respond properly. And I say, well, there shouldn't be that list. Hmm. If a dog is truly obedient, it means it obeys when it doesn't want to, right? It doesn't matter if the dog does something when it feels like it. You need to have a dog that will respond when it won't, otherwise when it would rather not do it. Because there's so many times in life when um, unexpected situations arise and you need control right now. And that's where most, most people lose control and dogs can get killed. People can get injured. There's all kinds of negative stuff that happens if we don't have an off-leash trained dog. So that's what all of my training is about. And early on in my training as well, I ended up becoming a, um, uh, a marine mammal trainer. I trained seal, uh, seals, sea lions, killer whales. Uh, and that has all been a part of, of my experience. And those are things that are also uh, included in the book and some, some of the amazing things that, that I've learned along the way um, that, that have really shaped the way I think and the way I train. There are some dog breeds that are getting a bad rap right now, and I'm wondering from your perspective if there are any that have inherent traits that concern you or might concern our listeners. Um, well, it's not necessarily the, the, the breed of dog that a person gets. It's how that dog is dealt with in the first moments from the, from the time they bring that dog home is it, it, establishing leadership. Because most people bring a dog home, and, and what they want to do is they want to start bonding with the dog and creating this, this relationship where, where they, uh, they um, project love toward the dog. They want, they want mm-hmm. to have this warm, fuzzy relationship, when in fact what a dog really needs to see from the person the moment they meet it is leadership. They need to understand that the person is in control of that relationship. The warm, fuzzy, lovey, cuddly part of the relationship comes after the dog respects the person. But people are doing it the reverse way, and they're also trying to buy their dog's favor and their dog's affection by the use of bribing it with treats. And, and all of this stuff leads to problems that people are unaware of. They're, they're sort of blindly marching ahead because of the societal think that is, that is being pushed upon them from all different types of angles. It makes them think they're following the right path. And unfortunately, from day one, they're giving the dog the power in the relationship which ultimately is going to destroy that relationship. I have a daughter who has a Great Dane, and a Great Dane is a warm, cuddly, uh, affectionate, energetic puppy that is grown to about 14 feet tall. I don't know if it's that tall, but it's big. And <laughs> it's, it, it has a destructive uh, personality. I mean, you, you they, they gave it a dog bed that uh, ended up in shreds everywhere. Is it too late to begin training and correcting bad behavior when they're six or eight no. months old? No, not at all. Uh, I, I, I've taken dogs that were 12 years old that were out of control. And in an hour, that dog is, is calm, affectionate, obedient. Because the dog's brain never stops uh, the ability to learn, like this concept that's tossed around that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely false. That that when a dog shifts its its environment, if, if one dog suddenly was was tossed into a pack of another group of dogs, an established pack of dogs, well, he's going to learn their rules right away. He's going to find out who runs that pack, what is the structure, uh, how does the harmony run, where does he fit in that hierarchy. And he's going to learn to adapt to that situation. So you take an older dog who's, who's lived with a family and behaved a certain way, 
um, and a lot of times it's, it's destructive or annoying uh, behavior because the dog has been allowed to to get to that point where the dog thinks that's an acceptable way to behave. When I step into the situation or someone using my training methods comes in to that situation and they start to immediately apply uh, my, my philosophies and my techniques, that dog will change within minutes. And, and it's seriously, it's, it's, it, it stuns people time and time and time again how fast a dog can change its behavior, especially when they've lived with problems for so long. And then in minutes later, boom, the dog's just sitting there looking at me with affectionate eyes, leaning on me. And, and people that have, that have used my system around the world that have, have sent me email after email after email just saying, wow, we never thought it could happen this fast. Five minutes after we started training our dog to go away, our dog changed. Interesting. It's just wonderful stuff. Very simple to get started. How, how Are there additional tools besides just a command and, and a control that are needed when you're dealing with a, a pup that's out of control? Um, well, I have a, I have a um, <coughs> sorry, beside my book, um, I have my, my perfect dog training system, which is five hours of instruction on, on two DVDs that I put together over a, a number of years. Uh, my, my command collar that I have developed, uh, which is the, the temporary training tool that is necessary for implementing the techniques and the philosophies and um, comes with training leads, a, a graduated system of training leads to work your dog to the point where it's off leash. Mm. And a lot of people will say, well, why would I want my dog off leash? Because there's leash laws. I, I, don't, I don't need him off leash. Well, um, the reality is, is that many problems occur when in between they're getting in and out of the car. They're, they're open the door to, to meet the the postman and outruns the dog. You know, he, he slips the leash or whatever happens, right. and and the dog is loose. That's why I've always said everyone needs off-leash control. So my training system, um, it it is the the, the be-all and end-all of training systems to get people to the level where they can have off-leash control. And and it's amazing. It's like within say you have two to four weeks. People can take a dog that used to pull them down the street on a leash, and they can be walking down the same uh, same road with the dog without a leash on, and the dog is, is behaving perfectly. Fabulous. Will the training techniques that you have outlined in your book be of interest to people who may have other types of pet, or is this uh, primarily a dog training manual? No, it's, it's, uh, it's basically dogs, but um, you know, I believe that when people get their mind around the things that I say in the book and the, and the things in my training system, I believe it changes the way people look at life. I mean, I get people who will, they will walk down the street and, and they, they, there's things that they have learned from me that really do affect the way they, they view life in general. Um, because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an adapting, uh, taking hold of logic and, and clear principles that in a sense are, are um, somehow just missed by the general populace as they're walking around. Uh, I, I believe it's a little bit of a life-shifting experience. Wonderful. And how would you describe your writing style in this book? Is this something that is going to be difficult for uh, a, a non-avid reader to get the uh, the principles and adapt them? Um, well, I mean, the, the book is it's very entertaining. Um, it, it's inspiring, uh, and and yet it's controversial because some of the things that I include in the book um, I'm exposing things that, that I've experienced um, from corporate situations, um, just things that are, things that are uh, out there 
that people have been exposed to, and, and I've seen the, the, the inner workings in the back door uh, in these processes, and there's a lot of stuff in my book that will, that will surprise people um, and, and just open their eyes about how things, are, how things are being run behind the scenes. And it affects the way we deal with our dogs. So, no, it's, it's a great read for anyone. It's like we've had young people reading it. And, um, it's, it's not a hard read at all. 137 pages. Uh, is this a, a book that will have a follow-up coming soon? Um, well, there is a potential follow-up, but how soon, I can't say. Don, there must have been some challenges in writing this book. Uh, were they difficult to overcome? I would, say, I would say that the most challenging part was to have to pick and choose from the thousands of anecdotal stories that I've gathered over the years and not be able to include them all. I wanted, I wanted to put everything in there. Well, are there um, some fun things that happened that you uh, shared in your book or that you remember? Uh, well, one of, the, one of the funny things that I did put in the book was uh, I was walking down the road with a client one, one day, and I could hear this uh, car coming down the road, and I heard this dog barking at the top of its lungs. It was just you know, a block away, you could hear this dog barking. And as this car approached us, I saw this little old man, and, and he's just kind of hunkered behind the wheel, and he has industrial uh, ear protectors on, like they look like <laughs> big headphones. Right. And he's driving along. He looks completely <laughs> calm and almost almost comatose as he's driving with these protectors on the dog, this massive dog is bounding around in the, in the car, barking incessantly. And the man's just at total peace because he's wearing these industrial ear protectors. That's funny. So, that's a funny and, story. And it's funny, you know, because, because I looked at that and I thought, you know, he, that's the way he's dealing with his situation. And in a half an hour, I could have that dog driving around in the car calmly and quietly. Yet he's going to live his life, uh, you know, driving around like that. And I always thought it would be funny if he went and picked somebody up for, you know, he had to go get someone and take him for a ride somewhere. And he hands them a pair of those earmuffs to put on as well. <laughs> That's a great story. I, you know, there's some people enjoy uh, the, the ruckus and the, uh, the routine of chaos. Maybe that was his life, too. <laughs> the title of this book, again, for my listeners, is Wake Up and Smell the Poop. And our author, the dog father, Don Sullivan. Don, my listeners will want to get copies of your book and also get in touch with you if they have further follow-up information they want to receive. How do they do so? Uh, well, to get the book... Uh, they go to www.wakeupandsmellthepoop.com, and they can also go, go to Amazon and uh, Google the name on there, um, and it will come up. And the uh, word poop has two oohs in it. Yes, uh, lots of oohs. Uh, P-O-O-P. Yeah, I know they yeah. know that. I just thought I would yeah. just if say they, that. If they want <laughs> Wonderful. And is there, is, are there any, you mentioned the DVDs, are those available on that uh, site as well? Uh, the DVDs would be through theperfectdog.com. 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 And it's the whole system. It's the DVDs, um, the training collar, the command collar that I invented, and the training lines. And mm-hmm. I believe there might be a couple of other things that they insert in kits that they sell. Um, that have some extras. Fabulous. Thank you, Don, for joining me today and sharing your story. The, again, the title of the book is Wake Up and Smell the Poop. Don Sullivan has been my guest, also known as the Dog Father. Thank you, sir, for being a part of today's show. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it very much. My pleasure. For Ex Libris on Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. 
Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.